If you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his own language, that goes to his heart. That's Nelson Mandela speaking. This is Walking Your Talk, a personal development podcast about leadership, authenticity, and courage. I'm Carolyn Taylor, and I've spent my life working with leaders in organizations on how to change their culture. But this is much more personal. If you want to be known as someone who walks your talk at work and beyond, then this podcast is for you. In this episode, I want to look practically at what it takes to speak to a woman or a man's heart, to your customer's heart, through the offering, the products, the services, the behavior, everything that you actually offer to that person. Now, here's a very simple test that I apply. Do you have a calendar, one of those calendars that has meeting requests in it, which have been sent to you by other people? So just open that calendar up for a moment and have a read of them. And I'm having a look at mine. So let me read out some of the things that I'm just seeing right here. Carolyn Taylor, Agenda Design Meeting. Catch up with Carolyn Taylor. Final prep session. So for me to know who actually sent that invitation and who's going to be at the meeting, I've got to double click to look inside the invitation. So it's a very self-absorbed way of sending an invite. It's coming from the perspective of the person who sent it. But when it arrives in my inbox, all it says is Carolyn Taylor. Well, I know my name's Carolyn Taylor. That's not incredibly useful. So do you see how that's a completely eye-centered way of looking at the world? Now, here's a couple of much more useful ones. Coaching, Carolyn and Massimo. Meeting, Timothy and Carolyn, Intel Leader Summit. Now, those two, you see, immediately tell both me, but also the person who sent it, what the meeting's about. Now, that may sound like a very simple thing, but I rather enjoy watching those little symbols and then looking at what they reveal about the mental model of the sender. So is your mental model through the eyes of the person you're sending something to or through your own? Email headings are always another interesting one. The first sentence of any email, does it actually say what this is going to be about? I can tell right there, actually, how other-centric or customer-centric the sender is. Doesn't even need to relate to a customer, actually. It's just how other centric, to what extent somebody is able to see what they're doing from the shoes of the person who they're doing it to. So let me expand this into a much bigger scale and show you why this matters so much to organizations and therefore also to you on a personal level. Let me take you back to the 1990s, which for some of you I know is going to be a long way back. I worked at that time with a brewing company, and they loved their beer. Oh my goodness, they slept and dreamt and thought about beer all day long. 
and they were very competitive. So you know, they were always trying to sell more beer than the competition, and they would focus on how they could improve their product and ask drinkers what sort of beer they would like and make adjustments, and then ask drinkers again what sort of beer they would like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And little time after I met them, the volumes of beer started to drop. They weren't selling as much beer. What had happened? It took them a while to work it out. Now, those of you who remember the 90s, when I tell you, will understand. What was actually happening was people were starting to take ecstasy and other drugs when they went out. They were going out clubbing, and when they were high, they didn't want to drink beer, they were drinking water. But my client was so centered on their product, on their beer, with their passion, that they didn't perhaps understand the role that beer played in their customers' bigger life, which was that customers, at the end of the day, end of the week, wanted to go out and get out of it a bit. Whether it was alcohol or drugs, each had a place. But beer was the, a means to that end of having a good time, and there were alternatives. So that self-absorption that the client had, their tendency to look at their production challenges or their product refinements, meant that they didn't have the empathy to see the whole picture of the client's life. So what was the end of that story? <laughs> the end was that they actually started developing more craft beers. They went more into restaurant drinking presumably because in restaurants you, you really would be having to drink alcohol rather than take anything else, home drinking, and less in these kind of venues where people might be wanting to do other things. And they also moved into wine, so they moved on. But what does that mean for you? For me, what it means is I love what I do. I love personal growth. I love culture with the same passion as that client loved their beer. And it's the center of my working life and has been all my career. So for me, every problem can really be solved by having more of that, more culture, more personal development. Because if you like, I have a hammer, I will see every problem as needing that nail to solve it. But in my client's world, personal growth and culture is one of many, many things that matters to them. And what I offer them has to fit into all of that. I can be a very important ingredient in key moments, but for much of the time, they don't think about me or personal growth or culture. But the more self-absorbed I am, the less I will be empathetic and understand that whole world in which they live and into which I need to fit. And when you start seeing the world in that way, what you realize is that there are particular elements of what each of us have to offer our customers, whether we're internal providers of service to some of our colleagues, or whether we have direct contact with external customers. And if a competitor fulfills one of those elements better than we do, then the customer will move there. Pharmaceutical companies spend years and years and millions, sometimes billions of dollars developing a particular drug. And we worked with one who had this truly superb drug, which reduced a particular form of a degenerative disease, which led to blindness. The tests were excellent. The product was the best. It was highly affected. It had to be injected into the eye once a month. And then there was another product that came onto the market that only had to be injected once every six months. You and I both know the reaction that we have when I say injected into the eye. 
there's a sort of a shudder, right? I get that sort of shudder. So just knowing that I only had to inject every six months would be hugely attractive. So you can have a truly scientifically the most effective product in the market, but if something about it produces that sort of shudder, and the competition has got an alternative that doesn't give you that shudder, even if it might not be as good, you could well be in trouble. So what I'm saying here is that the more you're in love with your product or your service, the easier it is to miss that. And that's why customer centricity is really a different worldview than product centricity. And it is a worldview. Because what happens is that we tend to say, from our position of being an expert in this field, in any field, in my case, personal growth, culture, we tend to say, but why doesn't the customer realize that what we're offering really is best for them? Don't worry about the injections. This medication is going to cure you. Fear is much less dangerous than ecstasy, and also it's legal. If you fix your culture, a lot of other problems will go away. But that's not how our customers see the world, at least today. And so empathy starts with where your customer is and solving their immediate problem, meeting their today need, so that maybe in the future, they will trust you enough that you can then help them to move to a genuinely more beneficial position if there really is one. So you start with that empathy of customer centricity and move up from there. So there are three questions which form an exercise for you this week. First one is, how does our or my offering, our service or our product, fit into our customer's broader life? And how can I increase my knowledge of that? The second one is, what might be a shudder moment for my customers? Something inherent, even if minor in my eyes, some element that I offer that might actually be a showstopper for the customer and cause them to either not buy anything or go somewhere else. And thirdly, when and how do you tend to preach or to tell your customers that you really do know the most about what is good for them? And how can you give them first what they want and only later broaden to what you think they still need? So I'd love to hear some of your stories about whether you think you are molding yourself to your customer's worldview or whether you're tending to be more product-centric and see the world as you want it. You can find me on social media at CT Growth Journey or directly on my LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. And join me next week for more exploration of what customer centricity can really become. I'll see you again next week. Thank you. <laughs>